What did the H1N1 pandemic teach us that could inform us about the COVID pandemic? Was the economic collapse of the last year caused by the virus or by a move by financial elites? If COVID is exaggerated, then how are we finding hospitals loaded with people? How is the COVID pandemic influencing relationships between the U.S. and their rivals? This week on the Global Research News Hour, we conclude our latest string of COVID-19 specials with a conversation featuring the renowned academic and author Michel Chosodovsky as he takes us through the mystery as an economist and devoted scribe of the various myths of the new virus and the demonstrable gains by elite interests. This is all part of his latest ebook, 2020 Worldwide Corona Crisis, Destroying the Civil Society, Engineered Economic Depression, Global Coup d'Etat, and the Great Reset. On this week's program, powerful elites, not V for the virus, responsible for the crisis of 2020 and beyond, a conversation with Michel Chosodovsky. Bringing you the analysis beyond the media headlines, the Global Research News Hour is on the air. Welcome to the Global Research News Hour for the week of February 5th, 2021. The program is funded by the Center for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on occupied Anishinaabegaki, the homeland of the Métis and the historical territory of the Nahiawak and the Nakota. I'm your host, Michael Welsh. The show seeks to provide access to analysis of some of the major issues shaping our world today from thinkers, researchers, and unique political personalities rarely addressed by major media. Our shows are features on partner radio stations across Canada and the United States and available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca. We'll begin our show with News Notes, a sampling of articles from the Global Research News site. Big media in cahoots with diabolical government officials censor and eliminate truth-telling on what's vital for everyone to know. What Times Fake News called a U.S. reality crisis amounts to urging greater state-sponsored censorship than already. What it called the scourge of hoaxes, lies, and delusions are hard truths about U.S. imperial wars, hazardous COVID vaccines to be shunned, Stolen election 2020, unelected or cognitively impaired Biden, unable to serve in any public capacity, the anti-Trump January 6th Capitol Hill false flag, and other cutting-edge issues. What the self-styled newspaper of record calls misguided beliefs are indisputable facts important for everyone to know. A real national reality crisis exists because of big government in cahoots with big media, like the Times, serving privileged interests exclusively at the expense of most others. That comes from the article, Calling for an American Ministry of Truth, the U.S. Media's Dystopian 2021, by Stephen Lendman, posted February 3rd. While much has been written about Cuba, Kennedy, and Dulles, the Indonesian side of the story has been slighted. Pulgrin remedies this with an exhaustive and deeply researched exploration of these matters. He details the deviousness of the covert operations Dulles ran in 
Indonesia during the 1950s and 1960s. He makes it clear that Kennedy was shocked by Dulles's actions, yet never fully grasped the treacherous genius of it all, for Dulles was always, quote, working two or three stages ahead of the present, unquote. Having armed and promoted a rebellion against Sukarno's central government in 1958, Dulles made sure it would fail, shades of the Bay of Pigs to come, since a perceived failure served his long-term strategy. That comes from the article, JFK versus Alan Dulles, Battleground Indonesia, a review of Greg Pulgrain's book by Edward Curtin, posted February 3rd, originally published on the author's blog site, Behind the Curtain. In February 2020, the Trump administration and the Taliban, without the U.S.-dominated Afghan government, signed a peace agreement that called for the scheduled withdrawal of U.S. and other foreign forces. The corporate media, foreign policy community, and other profiteers of the military-industrial complex swiftly criticized the talks. But within days of taking office, the Biden administration signaled the deal is off, citing the importance of supporting a, quote, stable, sovereign, democratic, and secure future for Afghanistan, unquote. That is the same language we hear whenever the United States conspires to overthrow a foreign leader who is hostile to U.S. capital, thereby presenting a threat to U.S. hegemony. See Iraq, Libya, Syria, Chile, Venezuela, to name a few. The Black Alliance for Peace Solidarity Network, comprised of non-African black people and organizations who support BAP's mission, condemns the continued war and occupation of Afghanistan as we condemn the use of state violence and militarism against poor and working-class people of all nations. That comes from the article, Black Alliance for Peace Solidarity Network Demands Biden End War in Afghanistan, by Black Alliance for Peace, posted February 3rd. Russia has demographic crisis. Notwithstanding official efforts to boost birth rates, reverse brain drain, use immigration policy over the past few years, Russia's population still falls by half a million. According to official data cited last month, Russia's population stands at 146.24 million as of January 1, 2021, down from 146.75 million the previous year. Russia's population could drop by more than 12 million by 2035, the National Statistics Office said in its annual forecast published on its website. The State Statistics Service, or Rostat, said that Russia experienced its highest natural population decline in 11 years. That comes from the article, Russia's Demography Crisis, by Kester Ken Klomiga, posted February 3rd. These are just a few of the featured articles appearing last week on the Global Research website. Regular visitors to the site are encouraged to send monetary contributions by fax, mail, or online. Just go to globalresearch.ca and click Donate on the menu bar.
Over the course of the last several months, Global Research NewsHour has been detailing a lot of the official narrative around the COVID virus that has not made sense given the facts that have thus far been detailed. Sober listeners will likely come to the conclusion that it is not the threat it's made out to be. Most do not question the lockdowns, which are in fact the real causes of bankruptcies, unemployment, and misery that followed. Michel Chosodovsky has come to the conclusion these big money, big pharmaceutical, big banking interests are to blame for this collapse of the economy and driving us toward the great reset of our world. He has assembled this research in a new ebook. Professor Chosodovsky is an award winning author. Professor of Economics Emeritus at the University of Ottawa, founder and director of the Centre for Research on Globalization in Montreal. The Global Research News Hour asked him for a bit of his recollection of the H1N1 breakout in 2009 and how that influenced his current understanding of so-called viral breakouts. Well, it it certainly sets the stage because the WHO was involved in a fraud. And and, uh, this was actually corroborated and it even went to the European Parliament. There was a commission of inquiry and uh, they they falsified the data on the H1N1. They falsified the impacts. And then they had had this big uh, contract with with the pharmaceutical industry for the delivery of, of billions of of doses of, of, uh, of uh, vaccine. And uh, as we recall in Canada, most of those vaccines were dumped because in the process, the, the virus had mutated, they were no longer functional. And then uh, uh, it was sent off to, the, to developing countries. Now what developing countries did with those vaccines, we don't know, but they were dysfunctional. And we're talking about millions of doses and it was discovered, of course, that, 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 that this vaccine simply was not functional and could not even be uh, used. There was no investigation or inquiry in Canada because the, the government actually spent billions of dollars, or, well, millions or several hundred million dollars to acquire these vaccines. And then after that, we didn't simply, we didn't use them. So there, there is a record of WHO uh, corruption at the highest levels, um, and, and that's on record. Uh, and there is also complicity of Big Pharma and of the governments in pushing, uh, you know, in pushing the vaccine uh, forward. Now the situation today is 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 somewhat of a different nature because uh, the, the pandemic or the alleged pandemic is being used to justify drastic economic and social measures, which were launched in several stages, but more specifically on March 11, uh, the, the governments of 193 countries, members of the United Nations, were ordered to close down their economy as part of the lockdown. In other words, you can find people on the one hand and then people don't go to work so that inevitably the 
economy of the country is is uh, partially closed, and um, and ultimately this sets uh, a stage of engineered recession. It's the most serious economic crisis in world history. There's no doubt about that. Could you go 100 back? Yeah, I just recall. I mean, actually, there were about four uh, separate events that led out. So it was in, in four parts. Uh, I think the original part was in January, uh, January well, 1st. Could, could you maybe elaborate on those four steps to uh, uh, economic uh, collapse? Well, I think the history is very important. And the history reveals the lies. And it, re it reveals a diabolical project. I've been following that from the beginning of January. Now, the first major decision-making um, process was at Davos, at the World Economic Forum on the 21st, between the 21st, 24th of, of January, where they actually presented a vaccine. And they had been working on the vaccine for several months. We, we have evidence to that effect. And the vaccine was launched um, on 21 to 24 of January. And there had been absolutely no announcement of a pandemic. The only thing that happened was that in early January, the, the Chinese authorities said that they've identified the virus and they and 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 that virus then of course became officially well they said it was identified that's another debate but that was on the 7th of january so two weeks later the world health uh, i'm sorry the the world economic forum comes out and says we've got a vaccine and they had been working on it for several months in fact it went back to the to the beginning of to the beginning of um, of 2019 now, bear in mind that outside China, on the 21st of January, there was virtually no cases of, uh, of um, uh, COVID-19 at that time. And, and this group had just happened to have the vaccine. Well, they had the vaccine, but they, hadn't, they didn't have the cases, okay? I mean, that's the crazy thing. Uh, you've got then, of course, on on um, on the 30th January, there was a major decision by the World Health Organization by the Director General Tedros, who declared uh, a public health emergency of international concern. In other words, a worldwide public health emergency. It was on the 30th of January. It was it was coupled with something of the order of 83 to 86 cases worldwide outside of China. Now, anybody who looks at those figures said, well, that does not uh, justify a public health emergency of international concern with 86 cases out of China. And uh, China, of course, was already in control of, a, of, the, of, the, of its pandemic. Um, and... Uh, there was absolutely no justification for calling uh, a public health emergency for 86 cases, of which five were in the United States, I think four, three in, 
in the UK and, and four in Canada, something of that order. I have the data on that. So now, the following day, uh, the president of the United States, the former president of the United States, uh, Donald Trump, uh, makes a statement saying he is suspending air travel with China. And, and, and this, in a sense, was um, ultimately a trigger mechanism, which then led to a crisis in commodity trade and in air travel. It, and it's ongoing. Okay, so it started on the 31st of January, and the the crit the the justification was five cases in the U.S. Okay, <laughs> five cases in the U.S. And um, and then you have another stage which is absolutely crucial, and people will remember it, uh, you know, throughout the world. It's the financial crash of. Um, 2020, according to analysts, this is the most serious economic collapse in world history. It is far more devastating than the Great Depression of 1929. And it happened and at the can... same time that uh, that the doctor made the announcement of this pandemic in, in February, correct? Well, what happened is that on the 20th of February, Tedros, um, Director General of WHO, makes a statement. He holds a press conference, and then he says very explicitly, the windows are closing, uh, the situation is very serious, and uh, we, uh, we, we can resolve it, but we might have to be very proactive. In other words, he was saying that the situation was tremendously serious, uh, uh, and uh, and that was a lie. It wasn't tremendously serious. There were 1,073 cases outside of China for a population of 6.4 billion people. Okay. Yeah. Now, anybody who has understanding of, of um, you know of, of health indicators or statistics will say, well, that is simply a negligible amount. And I should mention that out of that 1,073 cases, 60% came from the Diamond Princess cruise, which was uh, in, in the Yokohama uh, port there. Uh, and, uh, you know, the people on the, on the ship were confined and they all got sick and a lot of them are elderly people, but they took those statistics to, to push it up to 1,073. Otherwise it would be something of the order of 452 cases outside of China, population of 6.4 billion. Now, I would say that is a grotesque lie to, if, if you're going to say it's a really serious situation, we're going to have a pandemic, we're going to have a pandemic. Well, you give the figures, there are about, a, there's say, 100,000 people in there, 100,000 there. No, 1,073 cases. He acknowledged the figures. Those are WHO figures. They're undeniable. And what happened? The following day, the stock markets collapse. So you're saying this is essentially a, a, a sense of, of 
a process of basically engineering the collapse. It wasn't something, oh, a stock market crash. There was some other forces that would push for that to, to collapse. Well, you know, the, the, the economic analysts will say it's V, the virus that, that triggered the collapse of the stock markets, okay? It, it's not V, the virus, because there were only 173 cases worldwide outside of China. It wasn't. It was, it was the fear campaign on the one hand, it, and it was sheer media disinformation, and it was conflict of interest. I won't elaborate on that between Tedros and powerful financial interests. People had foreknowledge of what Tedros was going to say on the 20th of January, and they had already placed their bets in the hedge funds and, and uh, you know, uh, foreknowledge and inside information is the key to money making on, on financial markets. Everybody knows that. At least the financial analysts know that. And what happened also is that in the course of that, of that financial crash, there was a process of enrichment, which is also unprecedented, unprecedented enrichment of the financial establishment. Yeah. And uh, we, we know that, of course, the stock market goes down, you speculate, there are put options, okay? Yeah. There are put options. And uh, you, you have put options, but you have other instruments. But what I'm saying, and I and and uh, that uh, there's conflict of interest and there is fraud at the highest levels of the financial establishment, and most probably conflict of interest at the level of the World Health Organization. We can consult; they have criteria on conflict of interest. Mm. Uh, but when a scientific statement is made, or when uh, when a health emergency is is uh, intimate, well, is is suggested, uh, and inevitably this then becomes it's the it's the bread and butter of the financial establishment. They make money through deception. Yeah. Now another, another uh, critical date, of course, and you mentioned earlier March the eleventh. Because that was also that was when the period of, of lockdown took place, and and that again, the the, the wealthy class uh, profited from it. You know, so as as profits go down, as the uh, small and the medium businesses are going through all this difficulty, so much of that wealth goes up to the higher class. I mean, like several billion dollars over the course of the that uh, section of the. Uh, the whole scenario. So, are you saying, like, with those three stages, uh, that, that that we have this collapse that's fundamentally benefiting the the, the upper class, the billionaire class, at the expense of the the more wealthy? Well, absolutely. What what happened on March 11? There was something like 44,000 cases worldwide outside of China, uh, which is it's it's not a large number again, 6.4 billion people. But what was important there is that the March 11, which was an official declaration of a pandemic, uh, was coupled with a lockdown. And at the same time, the lockdown was to be implemented by freezing or closing down uh, 
national economies, not totally, obviously, but uh, the instructions were, uh, were transmitted to 193 member states of the United, uh, of the United Nations. Uh, there's a decision-making process uh, there. It, it obviously it doesn't emanate from the World Health Organization. This decision came from higher up. It came from the, it came from the, the powers of global capitalism. I won't get into that at this stage, but I can say, first of all, as an economist, you don't resolve a fund, you do not resolve a public health crisis by closing down your economy. Okay? First of all, there was no, uh, there was no basis for declaring a pandemic with the figures of confirmed cases in early March. Absolutely not. At a time when the situation in China had all the, they had almost recovered totally and normalized. There was no basis for declaring a pandemic on March 11th. That's one. But then if you declare a pandemic on March 11, the last thing you do is to close down your economy because ultimately uh, you need your economy to sustain, you know, to sustain people's ability to, to, to deal with the pandemic. And, and what happened on March 11 is that millions and millions and millions of people worldwide uh, were shoved into unemployment. Uh, millions of small and medium-sized enterprises were driven into bankruptcy. Uh, the informal se urban sector in developing countries, the self-employed. This is the big, this is the biggest devastation uh, affecting, broadly affecting people worldwide. And somehow public opinion doesn't understand that. They don't understand. You lose your job. Uh, the small and medium-sized enterprises go bankrupt. Uh, the the whole uh, even the whole tourist industry is 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 paralyzed. There's no air transport. There's no there's no public transport in some cases, and then they make us believe that this is required to solve a public health crisis, uh, which is not necessarily corroborated by the figures that I just mentioned. Um, I, we, we had what was called the first wave, which started in March. And uh, I can say, having uh, examined the figures, uh, this has led to mass unemployment. Uh, it has led to e extreme poverty and it has led to despair beyond poverty, bearing in mind that the large sector of the world population is already impoverished. If we look at the third world, where we have large percentage of the world population, which is already impoverished. Well, when they lose, when they, when they lose their means of survival, uh, it's famine. And the, the the FAO has, in fact, confirmed that there's famine in some 25 countries. I think it's much more. 
all the figures that we get, we are in a sense conservative and they don't point to the causality. They don't, they don't tell us that it is the decision of March 11, which has spearheaded global poverty. And I should mention also, because I've worked on these issues, that when purchasing power collapses, the first thing that happens is undernourishment at the family level. People don't have enough money to buy food. They don't have enough money to buy essential commodities. Uh, they are in a situation, and if they're poor and they don't have savings, uh, they will not be able to pay their rent. If they are middle class, they won't be able to pay their, their mortgage or their credit card. In other words, this is a process of social devastation, which is unprecedented in world history. And it is hitting every single country on the planet, more than 7 billion people. Okay. Now, uh, I can say that because I've, I've been studying all the mechanisms of bankruptcy for throughout my career. And, 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 and I've seen ad hoc mechanisms where creditors come in, the IMF, the World Bank come in, and this leads to poverty. But here we have a mechanism which is not even negotiated with the IMF. It's, it's, a, it, it, it's a procedure which spreads across the, the, the planet and it literally destroys people's lives. Literally destroys people's lives. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, broadcasting from CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and from partnering radio stations across Canada and the United States. Professor Michel Chosodovsky is an academic reaching hundreds of thousands of people through his site, globalresearch.ca. On COVID, he has been outspoken on the topic that the world's billionaires, and not the virus, are responsible for the miseries wreaking havoc around the world currently, and that they are making money as small and moderate corporations face bankruptcy. But at the same time, certain pharmaceutical corporations and certain technological companies stand to make major profits thanks to the opportunities presented to them by the situation. I asked Professor Chosodovsky to examine the different influences enjoyed by these different corporate sectors in terms of who motivated this financial shift. Well, the sources of enrichment are, um, are there's several sources of enrichment. First of all, the vaccine is a multi billion dollar operation because it was planned at a world level. In other words, and it, it has a certain structure with candidates. It's controlled by big pharma. Uh, and I should mention that GlaxoSmithKline and Pfizer integrated several of their activities barely a few months before this happened. Uh, now, so that, that's one area. It's, it's, it's billions and billions of dollars for big pharma. Then it is the appropriation of money wealth in the course of the crisis through speculative operations in the stock markets, which and that, that started in, on the, in, in February, on the 20th of February, but it also extended beyond March 11. There was another crash 
uh, after after the announcement of the the official announcement of the pandemic, and uh, and it's ongoing. And the third um, phase of there might be third or fourth phase of enrichment is picking up the pieces. In other words, you have bankrupt airlines. What do you do? You don't buy them. No. You acquire them at a negative price. How does that happen? Uh, this has, well, it hasn't happened yet, but I suspect this is the scenario. The airlines represent assets, uh, tremendous assets. Uh, and they are bankrupt. Now, um, in the wake of a so-called normalization, the public debt of governments throughout the world has simply gone fly high. Uh, and who is building that debt? It's, it's precisely, it's these financial elites. They're the creditors. Now, the, this financial elites, ultimately what they want is to acquire the real assets at rock bottom prices. But they will, what, what they will do is they say, well, we're willing to go in to buy up, let's say to buy up airlines. I won't mention the names of the airlines, but I mean, we can look at Aeromexico is completely, completely bankrupt. The whole airline industry in, the, in, in, in South America is bankrupt, the same in Southeast, South Asia, Southeast Asia. So the, the creditors will say, well, we're prepared to, to help. Uh, we'll buy up, we'll, uh, we'll acquire these airlines, they're bankrupt, but we will ask the government to subsidize this operation. Now, th this is standard. This, this is something that is done. Uh, in, it's been done for the last 20, 30 years. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, big corporate interests come in and say, well, well, we'll buy up the airlines, but you know, we have to get some help from the government. Uh, and essentially, they will be buying up the uh, these assets, these real economy assets, uh, either at rock bottom price or even at a negative price. They'll buy it at one price and then they will get subsidies from the government to cover their so-called losses. And they are the creditors of the state and they are also, they're also purchasing the corporations and then they're asking the government to fund uh, the, the acquisition of, uh, of uh, corporate entities. Now, this will happen, this will happen for the, the tourist industry, the hotel chains, uh, for the airlines. Uh, well, it will happen also for, for major uh, industrial technological firms which have gone bankrupt. The small and medium-sized enterprises, uh, I suspect are going to be wiped off the ur urban landscape. Okay. a large yeah. majority. Professor Chosodovsky then spoke about some of the common tricks and schemes employed by medical personnel to act as a kind of deception ploy about how dangerous the virus is. Uh, what I can say is that all these decisions regarding face mask, social distancing, and, uh, of course, lockdown, 
are based on estimates uh, of, uh, of COVID-19 or, or what we might call more correctly SARS-2, okay? which is the virus. SARS-2 is the virus, COVID-19 is the infection. Now, uh, we know that millions of people are going to be to get tested. So that places, uh, that started more or less in March, okay? It started in March, test, test, test. People are scared stiff, they're frightened, they go and get tested. Now, the, the analysis of the PCR test tells us, and this is unequivocal, you can't refute it. It does not estimate, uh, it doesn't estimate the disease, okay? For several reasons. First of all, SARS-1 cannot be identified. I'm sorry, SARS-2 can't be identified. It doesn't identify the virus. It identifies fragments of different viruses. But the more significant point is that this test leads to what they call an amplification cycle. And the World Health Organization scientists say that if you increase it above 35 cycles, the results of the test are absolutely meaningless. You can't make any assessment to say this person is case positive. There's 97% chance that it is case positive, ne false case positive. On January 20th, 2021, the WHO confirmed that the PCR test yields invalid estimates. The WHO states explicitly that retesting is required. I asked Professor Chostovsky if he felt vindicated in any way by the retraction. Well, I mean, I, you know, the, 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 the manipulation of those statistics is a, is a subject matter in, in itself. In some cases in Britain, they, they multiplied it by two. They take a swab in the, in, the, in the nose and the one in the throat, and then they multiply it by two, and it, it doubles the number of, of cases. It don't say it's the same person. But I, I mean, I don't want to get into that, but the World Health Organization was very explicit. It was formulated in a very polite way, but they said that they, sh they should be retested, that anybody who gets the test above 35 cycles has to be retested, which means everybody has to be retested. Okay? Now, I'm, I'm not, this is a, these are recommendations from the WHO, but it, in a sense, it's a, it's a mea culpa because the WHO at the, at the beginning um, was incited to adopt a certain methodology. Uh, I, I, I don't want to get into the details. It came from an institute in Germany, it was funded by the Gates Foundation. Uh, and then it came, actually, it was sent to the World Health Organization on the 23rd of January 2020, uh, when there was actually, <laughs> there was no actual epidemic to talk about. But there they had, they had already got their, their methodology. And uh, then uh, the, the test started but they started essentially started really in the month of March. 
And, and then uh, we said, oh, we're going into a second wave. We're not going into a second wave. We're going into a wave of frightened people who are going to get tested. And we're going, and they're being tested with a methodology which creates false positives. Punto. And what I'm saying is, and the governments have been advised that in, in, in Ontario, uh, they're, they're members of the of parliament which has spoken out, the medical doctors which have spoken out, have told them the methodology you are applying does not estimate the, the, the spread of the virus. And consequently, your second wave hypothesis and pretext to closing down the Canadian economy, the Ontarian economy, simply does not make sense. And it wouldn't make sense even if there were an epidemic, okay? Yeah. And then we've, we've got, I mean, the lies are so extensive. They talk about the face mask. We've got a vast literature on the face mask. Uh, it, 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 and even statements by Anthony Fauci saying, don't wear the face mask. And then a few months later, he says, no, you have to wear it, universal, okay? And, uh, and then you, you have a situation with regard uh, to the impacts of this crisis on mental health. People are committing suicide. I, we are really talking about the most serious economic social crisis in world history, which is sustained by a lie. It is sustained, it's sustained by several lies. It's sustained by a test which is which provides meaningless results i'm not saying that the pcr test is a the pcr test is a valid test but the way they're using it and they're not diagnosing patients whatsoever okay uh, but they are using it to justify an economic agenda and then oh. they're saying that then they're saying the lockdown and the closure of the economy is a so solution uh, to fighting the virus, v the virus. You know, it I is an absolutely you. nonsensical uh, uh, reasoning, which which is hitting, uh, which is hitting the media, and the media, of course, is responsible. There have been multiple attempts to get fear into the hearts of the public. The RT-PCR test, the face mask, and so forth. One of the details escaping my understanding, though, was the growing visits in hospitals. The popular headlines record these visits as so immense that they are flooding hospitals. So even if COVID is not the cause, something is getting people very sick and delaying resources for elective surgeries. I asked Chosodovsky to bring down what was behind the reduced hospital space. Well, I, I mean, let me first of all address the issue of, of, of defining COVID-19 or SARS-2. And, and this definition comes from the most respectable uh, establishment sources. You, you can uh, see the peer-reviewed report of, of uh, Fauci uh, and, and Redfield, who heads the, the CDC in the United States, and they said it is comparable to seasonal influenza. They say it. Pneumonia, seasonal influenza. The WHO says it's mild for 80% of the population, and it can create problems for people who, who are in, in a certain age group and so on and so forth. 
Now, uh, that definition and also uh, it, it's similar to seasonal influenza, but it is also similar to common colds. But because 30% of uh, corona viruses trigger common colds. And even if you get a positive test, which is valid, it may be one of those cold viruses that, that are going around, particularly in our you know, Canadian winter. And now the, the, the statistics are completely meaningless because uh, seasonal, seasonal influenza, which hits uh, you know, Canada, United States and, and cold countries at this time of the year, they're not tabulated anymore. It's COVID. So if, if you get the seasonal influenza, you will be tagged as COVID. Now, with regard to the situation in the hospitals, uh, I've, I've been consulting with, with the medical doctors on this. Uh, the, the case has to be very carefully researched. But what I think is happening is that the hospital landscape is paralyzed as a result of COVID-19 and that all other illnesses are put sort of in second priority. In, in, in other words, people who suffer from cancer, who have, who have dialysis, who need, urgently need help, it is postponed. And uh, that's one aspect. But then it's the other dimension and I've discussed this with psychiatrists, is that COVID-19 creates fear and fear also triggers, it has impacts on people's mental health, but it also creates other forms of ailments, okay? You're, you're, you, and, and it disrupts people's lives. And then another source, of course, of, of um mortality and morbidity is the impact of the economic crisis, which is generated. People from one day to the next don't have money to go and buy food. They have, none, they have no money. They are homeless. Now we're talking about people who become homeless. There are millions of them. And what happens? They get sick. And, uh, and the, in other words, the whole public health system is is in a sense is is in a crisis where it where because COVID-19 takes precedence and COVID-19 is similar to seasonal influenza it shouldn't take precedence okay it's not it's not a dangerous disease and then there's another aspect is that we've also noticed that uh, people who fear that they have COVID-19, they go to the hospital and they put them on a ventilator. And a lot of people die on the ventilator. And, uh, and they, they may have died on the ventilator simply by saying, oh, I, I think I might have COVID-19 and then uh, and I have some problem, breathing problems and there they go onto the ventilator. Um, I, I think the issue of the healthcare sector has to be carefully investigated, but it is impossible to do it when these lies, both the scientific lies, uh, the economic lies, and the political lies prevail. 
politicians are telling us that we have to stay at home. That they say they're telling us you can't go out, you can't go and and to a restaurant, you can't go to your work. And essentially, after several months, people start to. I don't think, in my entourage, I would say that. In one form or another, everybody has a mental health problem, because this this exertion on people's minds is so dramatic. And then you think of your children, you think of your your parents, and so on. I have been researching uh, the impacts of globalization, specifically the globalization of poverty, for a good part of my career, and I. I realize the extent to which people, particularly in developing countries, are literally their lives are literally destroyed, and there's an impact, immediate impact on mortality and morbidity. Uh, so that inevitably, the healthcare sector is in crisis, not because of the impacts of COVID-19, but the impacts of the fear campaign. Which has an impact on uh, on mental health immediately. Uh, the impacts of losing your purchasing power, your wages from one day to the next, and being in the impossibility of feeding your family and uh, and meeting essential needs, and then you and then it leads often in in those cases it leads to suicide. We have a situation there in 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 uh, in, in India. Uh, where there is a famine, where there's a crisis, where there are large-scale um, uh, protest movements of 100 million people, which are virtually not even reported, and uh, we're not dealing with COVID-19 there. We're dealing with ex extreme poverty generated by a decision-making process, which has nothing to do with public health or public health uh, concern, and. Uh, uh, we can, we, I think we have to use our common sense because what is ongoing is that the lie becomes the truth. The lie is the truth at the moment. The lie is becoming the truth. We are, we are told that V the virus triggers poverty, V the virus triggers financial collapse. And in fact, V the virus is similar to seasonal influenza. And in fact, the virus has no impact on economic variables. And the decision-making process behind all this uh, emanates from the higher spheres of global capitalism. And it is intent upon bankrupting not only the small and medium-sized enterprises, but also in uh, taking over uh, the so-called real economy uh, in a process, it's a historical process which has been ongoing since the 19th century, but this is a far more sophisticated way of, of undermining your competitors and acquiring wealth and monopoly and so on. But it's the powers of deception, it's lying, uh, and it is also a tendency towards a totalitarian state and the latest news that i have the, the latest news that i have is that the the bundestag in germany has adopted what is called 
Agenda ID 2020, which is the insertion of a digital ID into the vaccine. Okay. And um, that means that people would be controlled. They, they wouldn't need to have passports anymore. It's, a, it's an embedded digi digital passport in your body when you take the vaccine. Now, that is, of course, a landmark uh, in, in this uh, evolution. We might ask ourselves, do we need a vaccine if it's a seasonal influenza? And the answer is no, we don't need a vaccine. Uh, and then we might, uh, we might beg the question, is the vaccine really a vaccine? Because uh, the Moderna Pfizer vaccine has uh, modifies the human genome. Professor Chodorowsky, I was wondering if, if uh, I, mean, I guess I, we're running a little short on time now, but uh, looking at the, the situation of geopolitics, I have difficulty seeing this through the, the political boundaries erupting around the world where, you know, the Western what pharmaceutical companies are making big money from this but you also have the russians manufacturing sputnik 5 um you know so i mean is the you know whether pandemic is fake or real how does it feed into the contest between the us nato and and russia or other world parties if at all well this is an important question uh, because the the russian government has endorsed the consensus they they view COVID in the same way as we do in the West. They're not, they're not questioning the, the lies and fabrications in, in any way. And I suspect, I mean, Russia is a capitalist country and they have, uh, they have their own uh, capitalist elites that we call them the oligarchs, okay? Yeah. Uh, and I, I think they are in to make money there. Now you might, you might ask what's happening in Cuba? Cuba, Cuba, the Cuban ph pharmaceutical industry has been has been collaborating with GlaxoSmithKline uh, for for the last twenty years as uh, uh, as uh, outsourcing and subcontracting and so on. They're part of the process, and their economy is in such a shambles uh, that they are uh, in fact um, producing vaccines in collaboration with Western partners, as well as with the Russians. Okay? The Chinese are doing the same and they have, they have agreements with Western companies. Uh, GlaxoSmithKline uh, is, is also, and Pfizer and so on. They all, they have, they have joint ventures and so on. It's complex, but I, I, I can say uh, there are very few countries which, which is, have actually taken a stance uh well there's nicaragua which is one of the few countries on on the planet which has said no we're not going to have the lockdown and they didn't have the lockdown i was in nicaragua in 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 in, uh, in early of last year uh up until march and the the decision of the governments was entirely different they didn't necessarily uh deny COVID-19, they said, we're going to send, uh, we're going to send a health team to every single household in the country. Okay, so they started, they have decentralized health centers, which, uh, which both in rural and urban areas, and they send a team and they establish 
uh, a situation with regard to each family. And the families, uh, the, there was no absolute, no disruption in the economic activities. Uh, the families did not need to go, the, the people didn't need to go to the clinics, the clinics go to the households. And it was a very successful endeavor. Um, but there are very few countries which actually refused to abide by these instructions. And what that tells us is that these national governments have been co-opted. They, they, are, they are within, they're serving the interests of, of uh, the interests of, uh, of large um, financial groups. Uh, and, and then we have to understand how does it, you know, how, how do these mechanisms, decision-making mechanisms occur? Uh, and that's something, that's a subject matter in itself, and it's something which has to be investigated. But what I can say, what I can say is, we are, uh, we have a big lie. And that big lie is very easily refuted uh, from a scientific point of view, from a common sense point of view. And we have to repeal that big lie if we want to move forward. We have to repeal it and we have to question the legitimacy of these governments, uh, which are involved sometimes unwittingly. But there's an element of, of opportunism, corruption, and stupidity, which prevails. And one of the big obstacles has been the media, 24-7, and particularly in, in Canada, our own CBC or Radio-Canada, 24-7, they are talking about COVID-19 and they are uh, essentially spearheading this, this fear campaign uh, throughout the country. You just heard from Professor Michel Chosodovsky, author, Professor Emeritus of Economy and founder and director of the Center for Research on Globalization in conversation with the Global Research News Hour about the 2020 worldwide coronavirus. You're invited to read the ebook located at globalresearch.ca. Next week, we start a two-week fundraiser for the station CKUW, out of which each episode of the Global Research News Hour is produced. We encourage our regular listeners to contribute generously to this in special initiative. Feel free to donate online by visiting the site fundrive.ckuw.ca. You've been listening to the Global Research News Hour, a program funded by the Center for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on occupied Anishinaabegaking, the homeland of the Métis and the historical territory of the Nahiawak and the Nakota. The show is aired on other radio stations across Canada and the United States and is available for streaming or download at globalresearch.ca. To leave feedback on this program, please email globalresearchnewshour at gmail.com. I've been the show's host and producer, Michael Welch. Thank you once again for listening.